Nancy Pelosi delivered a speech the other day in front of either a flaming pile of weak old fertilizer or the House of Representatives. It's become increasingly hard to tell them apart. Pelosi was offering a resolution to condemn Donald Trump for saying things that could be twisted to sound racist, or in other words, for being a Republican. In the tradition of the recent Democrat resolution to condemn anti-Semitism, which ended up condemning everything and therefore nothing, Pelosi offered to condemn all presidents whose words could be misrepresented as racist or who were Republican or who had orange hair or who were named Trump. In condemning the words that could be twisted to sound racist, squad member Ayanna Presley from the state of lunacy said, quote, we cannot have racism in this country, but instead should only have black people who say black things, women people who say women things, and gay people who say gay things, and all things should be the things I want them to say. Then we will be free, unquote. Representative Ilhan Omar also spoke up for the resolution saying, quote, how dare Trump say I should go back to Somalia when I love this country so much I could just explode, preferably in the middle of a crowded street. And when an anti-American racist like Donald Trump says that I support al-Qaeda, I won't even dignify that with a response, certainly not with an honest response, unquote. Alexandria Occasional Cortex added her voice to the anti-Trump resolution saying, I just want to reach out to every child all around the world and say, whether you're black or white or Mexican or a drug smuggler from Costa Rica or a terrorist moving weapons through Argentina, this country belongs to you or it will when I get through with it, unquote. For four Republicans voted for the resolution, Congressman Dopey, Sleepy, Wimpy, and Scuzz. The other Republicans feared that if Donald Trump were silenced, there would be no one left to say Republican things because they sure as hell weren't going to do it. Trick warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, Hey, you know why people go to auto parts stores? They go because they feel insecure and they think the person behind the desk is going to look into a computer and find out something they don't already know. But it's actually not always true. And Rock Auto will give you the stuff you need right online. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or a daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks dire delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and they're the same for professionals and for do-it-yourselfers. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Claven in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know how we sent you, and also so they know how to spell Claven because it's K-L-A-V-A-N. So here's a story from the old days when Shapiro, the God King, and I were on a site called Truth Revolt before we all got fired and regrouped for the Daily Wire. In 2004, the European Space Agency performed the miraculous feat of landing a probe on a comet. Instead of celebrating this giant step for all mankind, feminists attacked one of the scientists on the project because, because he wore a shirt with sexy cartoons of women on it. 
By the time these shrieking shrews were done with this guy, the poor nerd was nearly in tears and forced into a Stalin show trial style apology. So, of course, I thought it would be hilarious if I wore the same shirt in my next satirical Truth Revolt video without even mentioning it. So, we had this annoying factotum hanging out around the place named Michael Knowles. And I asked Knowles to locate such a shirt. And because Knowles turned out to be a very stable genius, he found the last one available. So I'm prepping for the video and I put the shirt on and I looked down and I felt like a total idiot. What a stupid sexist shirt this was. Because of course in real life, I like people of the female persuasion in general, and at least one of them happens to live very close to the center of my universe. I believe it is my privilege and responsibility to treat the lady of my house in an elevated manner. That includes behaving in such a way that people can see how I honor and respect her. So I don't go to Hollywood parties where a lot of sexual malfeasance might be taking place, and I don't wear stupid shirts with sexed up cartoons of women on them. But I wore one that day. You can go on YouTube and see it by searching Clavin and Gamergate because I wanted to make the point that people should be free to wear whatever they want, and we should treat our fellow humans with humor and grace, and we should focus on important things like landing on comets instead of on unimportant things like feminism. Now, like Shapiro's wife, my son Spencer is a doctor. Unfortunately, he's a PhD in ancient Greek classics, So unless you're suffering from an imbalance of the humors, the kid is basically useless. But Spencer did explain to me that I was operating here in an illocutionary way instead of in a propositional way. I didn't know what that meant either, but he explained that illocution involves the social effect of an utterance of what you say. In this case, wearing the shirt to declare our right to free speech. Whereas propositional means to propose the actual meaning I express, which in this case was wearing a crass and sexist shirt. Now, the left has wrapped us in a mental prison by purposely mistaking our illocutions for propositions until we're afraid to even make a joke without explaining it because we don't want the outrage mob showing up at our door or, more importantly, at our sponsor's door. So, yesterday, Donald Trump had a rally, and when he started describing the many sins of Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, D. Palestine, the crowd started chanting, send her back. Many on the left and right reeled in horror at the chant, fearing that propositionally it was racist or, more accurately, xenophobic. But my friend John Nolte scoffed at these pearl clutchers, saying, no, this was an illocutionary act. Nolte tweeted, quote, The send-her-back chant is as American as it gets. It's everyday Americans being hilariously inappropriate, poking a hole in the joyless, pompous smugs who responded exactly as they hoped. Now, I think in the case of Ilan Omar, on a visceral, emotional level, the crowd and Nolte have a point. She's an American, all right, but a more ungrateful, un-American, terror-sympathizing, Jew-hating wretch of an American would be pretty hard to imagine. So yeah, I'll go with illocution here. We feel send her back in our hearts, not because of the color of her skin, but because of the content of her philosophy. And so being Americans who can say anything we damn well want, we will chant no matter how many people on leftist news outlets get all teary-eyed and grump about it. But at the same time, I have to note that the propositional side of this is dangerous, both politically and, yes, morally. That chant is going to be appearing in Democrat ads forever, and it could bring out many angry left-leaning voters in 2020 who stayed home in 2016. As our president would say, not good. Plus, I want even the crowds to be clear about this one thing. Omar stinks, not because she's black, but because, did I mention, she's an ungrateful, un-American, terror-sympathizing, Jew-hating wretch. Could we somehow make a chant out of that? Eh, probably not. 
but I think we can do better and smarter then send her back. All right, it's mailbag day today, and we will get to that and solve all your problems, which is, <laughs> except, the, except this problem, the problem of this crazy screaming going on in your ear, driving people off the road uh, with shock. Uh, and we will we will get to more about this uh, Ilan Omar thing, but first, let us talk about Raycon. You know, when I'm hiking, I sometimes listen to my audiobooks, which I love, and I want good ear set phones, and the ones that everybody uses frequently fall out of my ears. These Raycon phones are made so you can change the head on them so they stick in there and they really give you good sound. They block out the outdoor, the outside world and they give you terrific sound and Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market. They sound just as amazing. I personally thought they sound be- sounded better. I really did. Raycon's E50 wireless earbuds have totally changed the game. They're so comfortable and they're easy to take anywhere and unlike some of your other ri- wireless options, like I said, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems. You don't look uh, crazy when you're wearing them. Raycon offers their wireless earbuds for everyone in a range of fun colors and an, at an unbeatable price. Go to buyraycon.com slash Clavin to get 15% off your order. That's buyraycon.com slash Clavin for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. If you've been uh, eyeing a pair, now is the time to get an amazing deal. One more time, that's buyraycon, B-U-Y, raycon.com slash Clavin. And of course, you know, the first thing you want to do is, you know, use them to l- listen closely to hear how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-I-N. I'll never stop. I'm never stopping this joke. All right. Um, so let's take a full look at this rally. Uh, I guess it was in North Carolina where Trump was doing his thing and he was going back to his, if you don't like it here, leave. And he was going after Ilan Omar. Omar left that Americans speak of Al-Qaeda in a menacing tone and remark that you don't say America with this intensity. You say Al-Qaeda makes you proud. Al-Qaeda makes you proud. You don't speak that way about America. And at a press conference just this week, when asked whether she supported Al-Qaeda, that's our enemy. That's our enemy. They are a very serious problem that we take care of, but they always seem to come along somewhere. She refused to answer. She didn't want to give an answer to that question. Omar blamed the United States for the crisis in Venezuela. I mean, think of that one. And she looks down with contempt on the hardworking Americans, saying that Ignorance is pervasive in many parts of this country. And obviously and importantly, Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. So, of course, uh, the media reacted with their usual calm, objective, uh, fair-minded, you know, approach uh, where they put everything in context and gave the whole thing. No, of course not. They had their hair on fire. I think they actually have a blowtorch so they can set their hair on fire at any given time. And of course, there's racist, racist, racist. Let's look at one, Mika Brzezinski. This, this is the stuff that I just find hilarious, where they're so full of virtue. Our news people are so full of virtue that when they see something a little off, you know, untoward, uh, they actually uh, burst into tears. This is Mika. I try not to invoke my father, um, 
because I could never live up to even be half who he was. But people like my father and people like Madeleine Albright who came here and made this country greater to coin the president's term, they will tell you that this is pure and simple evil and that someone's going to get hurt, whether it be someone in an office today or in a school or anywhere in America, someone is going to get hurt, whether they are hurt personally, emotionally, psychologically, or physically. She's so virtuous. She's so... <laughs> she is just... When she sees evil, she's just the innocence. She can't... She can't stand it. I sometimes watch this and I think, that's nice. Can I have some news with my emotion, please? Anyway, this is, as I constantly say, why Trump got elected. I think this above all is why Trump, you know, yesterday we did a backstage, which I thought was really entertaining and fun. And um, uh, Jeremy, uh, the God King, did this hilarious video that harkened back to uh, Strong Bad, which was just a really funny sight uh, back in the 2000s. Uh, my, my son used to watch, and I just used to watch over his shoulder and just crack up because it was so funny. And he made one about the squad. And after it was over, you know, it was all this kind of uh, mocking squad. After it was over, Ben explained the incredible ways they had to twist and turn to make sure there was nothing there that Media Matters could pull, pull out of context. Uh, and and uh, used to cause outrage and attack us. And I'm not criticizing them at all because, I, you know, it's Ben and Jeremy who have to make sure that the people in this place, who work in this place, can get paid. So I'm not, you know, that's not my job and I don't have to worry about that. But I'm not, so I'm not criticizing them. But to me, that is the problem. That is the thing we're fighting against. I mean, there's going to be policy arguments. There's going to be compromises. But we can't compromise our right to be Americans who say crazy things and act inappropriately and make jokes. That is the thing that I personally feel is the most important thing. Because as long as they can make us afraid, as long as they can make us, you know, kind of say, oh, yes, I got to explain my jokes and all this stuff. They've got us. They've got us. And this is the thing. This is the reason that... Um, that Trump got elected. I think people feel this, you know, and, and guys like me and guys like all of us here are protected by the First Amendment, but you're not necessarily protected by the First Amendment if you're James Damore, if that was his name, who says, you know, uh, uh, I think women and men are different and gets fired for it. Uh, or people, you know, people, all they have to say is, yeah, a man in a dress is not a woman. Uh, even if he cuts his bits off, he's still not a woman. That that will get you fired. And, they, and those people are not protected uh, by the First Amendment. And so it, it's a problem. And, and the thing is, we are, this is the fight that we are in right now. People See, the people in the news, they want you to think it's a fight between racism and their incredible virtue. But it's not. It's a fight between free speech and not free speech. That's what it's a fight about. And they keep using this same race card over and over and over again until it becomes an obstacle to actual free speech. And you know I despise racism. I despise it as a philosophy. I despise it as a fact in American life. Not American life. In all life. Well, it's part of all of us. We're all, we all have sin in our heart. One of the sins in our hearts we have along with lust and envy is tribalism. We all have it. Every one of us, of every color, it's wrong for all of us. There's no, there's none of this stuff about, oh, you can't be racist if you're black. Yes, you can. You can say those words, but don't make them true. But they keep using it as a political weapon. I'll sh and I'll show you ex exactly what I mean. But first, let us talk about our old friends at stamps.com. The post office all my life, the post office has been been my life. I mean, I, as a writer, just as a kid, I remember going to the post office with all my stories, sending them out, getting them back, sending them out again. And I love the post office, but I don't want to go there, especially in L.A., where even if it's half a mile away, it takes you three hours to get there in traffic. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. post office right to your computer, whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com. 
Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere. For me, that's the whole fun of the thing. I just watch my computer and go, look, ma, a stamp is coming out of the computer. By golly, what will they think of next? With Stamps.com, you get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Clavin. That's Stamps.com. Enter Clavin. I wish I could think for a, of a joke for that. Oh, I know. How do you spell Clavin? <laughs> it's K-L-A-V-A-N. This is getting postmodern. Here are the, here's the squad, these four horsewomen of the apocalypse, talking to Democrat plant Gail uh, King, uh, big Democrat. Why she's supposed to be a news person on CBS this morning, I don't know. But here she is. And listen carefully to what they say. Are you speaking to Nancy Pelosi? Our teams are, are in communication. Our chiefs are... are but shouldn't it be a face-to-face -face with I you agree. and the speaker yeah, as opposed yeah, to, I think as opposed to your people and her people? Right. Shouldn't right. it be a face-to-face? -face but you're new members of that question. But no, I'm very protective. With all due respect, mm -hmm. she doesn't need protection. Right. I want to know if you are She's speaking... She's the new member, not the speaker. No, but she I want to know. She has every right to sit down with her in any moment, any time, with any of us. Yeah. She is Speaker of the House. She can ask for a meeting to sit down with us for clarification. The fact of the knowledge is, and I've done racial justice work in our country for a long time, acknowledge the fact that we are women of color. So when you do single us out, be aware of that and what you're doing, especially because some of us are getting death threats, because some of us are being singled out in many ways because of our backgrounds, because of our experiences and so forth. But but I think Alexander, the question are you interested be, in having a conversation face to face oh, with Speaker, House Speaker would, Nancy Pelosi? Why wouldn't she sit down with her? Yeah, no, absolutely. And we've reached out to that end. So we are women of color, so you have to be aware of that. When you criticize us, stick your color, stick your womanhood. You're a congresswoman. It's your ideas and your proposals that matter and the languages that you talk. And this is what they, they do. They hide behind their skin color and their gender, their identity, whatever their identity is, like a kid hiding behind their mom's skirt, and they think that that's supposed to protect them, and it doesn't. And here's a poll from Rasmussen that was released on Wednesday. One in three Democrats think it's racism any time a white politician criticizes a politician of color, one third of Democrats believe that if you are white, you cannot criticize a politician of color. It says, well, 80% of Democrats believe the president is a racist. 85% of Republicans think the racism charges by his opponents are politically motivated. Voters not affiliated with either major party are evenly divided on the question. 32% of Democrats, 32% say it's racist of any white politician to criticize the political views of a politician of color. That's a view shared by 16% of both the GOP and unaffiliated voters. It should be no percent. It should be no percent. And we got this for eight years, eight years of Barack Obama. Anybody who said your policies stink, you're corrupt, you're unconstitutional, all of which was true, all of which was true is, oh, it's just because he's brown. It's because he's, you know, that's why you're saying it. That's why you're saying it. You know, the Middle East is on fire. The economy stinks. You're not letting the economy recover. Uh, you're uh, stopping people from speaking. You're using the IRS to silence political dissent. You stink. I don't care what color you are. And that's the thing. People, this is America. People want to talk. And let's talk about some of these policies that Ilhan Omar is pushing. She pushed a resolution. You know, there was a resolution of condemning um, uh, 
BDS, the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions against Israel, because it's trying to shut down the only free country in the Middle East, the only one, a country that is unique, like America is unique, for being freer than other countries. And Omar introduced a resolution affirming Americans' rights to to, uh, uh, isolate Israel through BDS. And here she is uh, talking about that. We should condemn in the strongest terms violence that perpetuates the occupation, whether it is perpetuated by Israel, Hamas, or individuals. But if we are going to condemn violent means of resisting the occupation, we cannot also condemn nonviolent means. We cannot simultaneously say we want peace, then openly oppose peaceful means to hold our allies accountable. It is precisely... It is precisely when people say, when people feel hopeful, when people feel that nonviolence does not work, that their voices won't be heard, that they turn towards violence. This week, I introduced a resolution with civil rights leader, our colleague, John Lewis, and Rashida Tlaib, who know the importance of nonviolence movements. It recognizes the proud history of boycott movements in this country dating back to the Boston Tea Party. We should honor these movements and that history. The Boston Tea Party. I mean, this is, this is the kind of thing that the Democrats do. Okay, think, think it through. The Boston Tea Party was fought for liberty. It was fought to install a, a government of, of liberty in America. It was fought to throw off the chains, what they felt were the, was the burden of the King of England ruling America and to become a free country. The, the fight against Israel is a fight against a free country in favor of people who have not shown they can be free. Show me a Muslim country that's truly free. Show me one where the fat cats at the top don't have all the money. Talk about inequality. Show me one where the women are allowed to be free. And then you, uh, we can start to talk about it. But to even define Israel's existence as an occupation is already an anti-Semitic attack. It's already an attack on this country's right to exist, which is, yes, anti-Semitism per se. You know who said so? Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi, about four months ago, was at APAC, the Jewish PAC, and this is what she said. We must also be vigilant against bigoted or dangerous ideologies masquerading as policy, and that includes BDS. Last week, we introduced the Schneider, that would be Brad Schneider of Illinois, and Nather, that would be Jerry Nather of New York, the Schneider-Nadler resolution in the House that explicitly opposes the BDS movement. So she's, she says, the B, she's talking about the BDS movement as secretly bigoted, as secretly anti-Semitic, which it is. And what they do, what, what, the, Demo, what the Democrats do, the leftists do, is they, they make moral equivalents. And Omar says, oh yes, we have to be careful whether it's the Israel or Palestine, you know? No, no, they're fighting for different things. We should support the one who are fighting for the things that we believe in, like freedom. So once you say that, they say, well, you're just saying that because people in Palestine are brown, as if people in Israel are all one color, which they're not. But they just say, oh, yeah, it's, it's brown, and, and I'm a woman, and it's a woman of color, and, uh, you know, I, I know a gay person. And so you can't say what, you cannot talk about the things that matter, and that's how they protect themselves. You can't talk about the things that they are actually proposing. And and this anti-Semitism, this anti-Israel anti-Semitism infests the left. It infests the left because people who hate freedom, people who hate God, 
hate the Jews. That's that's the way it works. I mean, it's just it's the devil. Anti-Semitism is the devil's flagpole. You know, it used to pop up a lot more on the right. You used to see it on the right. Now it's on the very, very far fringes of the right. It is not in the middle of the of the part of the Republican Party. It is in the heart and the beating heart of the Democrat Party is this anti-Semitism. Here is Netroots, right? This wasn't covered. We can talk about send her home forever, but there's not the, a lot of press isn't covering Netroots where all the uh, left wing online people get together uh, under the aegis of the Daily Kos. And here's Mark Lamont Hill, the Columbia guy, the Columbia professor, uh, talking about working at a news station and how that is compromising in and of itself. I also like to manage people's expectations, young journalists. They're like, I want to work for Fox. Or maybe not, they don't say it anymore. I want to work for ABC or NBC or whoever, and I want to be able to tell these stories. And it's like, it's the same way like when I meet young kids at Wharton. You know, they're like, I want to be social justice activists and I want to be an investment banker. And I want to, it's like, nah, at some point, like everybody want to go to heaven, don't nobody want to die, right? You, you got to make, you have to make choices about where you're going to work. And if you work for a Zionist organization, you're going to get Zionist content. And no matter how vigorous you are in the newsroom, there's going to be two, three, four, seventeen, or maybe just one really powerful person. I'm not cons- suggesting conspiracy. <laughs> I'm just saying that that all news outlets have a point of view, and if your point of view competes with the point of view of the of the institution, you're going to have challenges. Now Hill tried to walk that back, but you, you can't. I mean, you're, you're talking about it, the, the Jewish control of the news. That's what he's talking. About. Not a conspiracy. He said, but he, that's what he's talking about. He's talking that uh, Jews run the news. You know, that's the, one of the oldest uh, cliches in the business. And that when they run the news, they run it for Jewish purposes. But if if there is a bias toward Israel, which I very much don't think there is in the mainstream media. There should be a bias toward free countries over enslaved countries. There should be a bias toward countries, to the the good and welfare of countries where women have rights, where Muslims have more rights than they do in a lot of Muslim countries. Of course, there should be a bias toward those countries. That's actually moral. You know, you, you, you do have to have a moral framework, even in reporting the news. You don't have to be completely blank uh, in, in being objective. You can be objective and say who did something wrong and who did something right. Israel does wrong things, too. That's absolutely true. But of course, you should be more supportive of Israel than you are of countries that don't treat their people as fairly as Israel does. Right. So the GOP has put out a, a, a really funny ad, basically, just just at, without mentioning Trump, just going after the squad, showing the things they say, showing the fact that they don't like America. Uh, and it's, it's a good ad, but take a look. The United States is running concentration camps on our southern border. Never again means something. If this organization is as fascist as you have called it, I've said it's fascist. and you have said it's fascist, then why don't you uh, adopt the stance to eliminate it? Your colleague who was at the border with you compared the facilities to a concentration camp. Do you agree with that comparison? Absolutely. You will see the light. And if you don't, we will bring the fire. A car in the parking lot was torched, and investigators say the suspect threw flares at a propane tank trying to make it explode. They took down an American flag and a Colorado state flag, and instead, as you see in some of this video, they raised a Mexican flag. We are learning new details about the man who threw explosive devices at an immigration detention center in Tacoma, Washington. Will you condemn Antifa for attacking an ICE facility? Will you condemn the Antifa attack in Washington over the weekend? Will you condemn Antifa for the attack in Washington? (laughs) 
says squad goals anarchy at the end uh, there. It's, a, it's an excellent ad. These people will uh, set themselves on fire. They could bring down the Democrat Party. And my only, um, you know, my only reservation about things like the sender back chant and all the people chanting that is that those are going to be on ads, too. And we do not want those ads to inspire uh, leftists to show up at the polls when they were suppressed because they didn't like uh, uh, Hillary Clinton. We don't want them showing up in 2020. So, you know, Trump, look, look, Trump made this mistake in 2018 when he went back to the base with his we're being invaded, we're being invaded, we're being invaded. And he let the press beat him up over racism. And all the people said, you know, all the pro-Trump people said, no, no, this is he's speaking the truth. He's doing the right thing. You know, it is politics. You do have to win. You know, winners make laws, as, as, as Cocaine Mitch once said, winner make law, winners make laws, losers go home. And so I just, I just think these guys, we are, far more, we are far more under threat from the socialist anti-American left than we are from Donald Trump. Far, far more under threat from the left. That's why I want to see Trump win. And that's why I think we have to have a, just a little bit, you know, just a li- we should be able to say whatever we want to say, but we shouldn't actually want to say things that are actually racist. This uh, was on the borderline, and I understand that it's a thumbing the nose at the restrictions and all that, but you got to be smart too. That's my only point about it. I, I, you know, I really want to talk about my trip uh, to Idaho and uh, New St. Andrews. I had such a good time and such an interesting experience talking uh, to these kids uh, who were there in a kind of Christian uh, uh, retreat. I don't have time now because I want to get to the mailbag. I will try to do it tomorrow because we will be on tomorrow. Uh, so you want to uh, go to dailywire.com and subscribe now so you can be in next week's mailbag and also watch the show whole without getting thrown off YouTube or Facebook. Go to dailywire.com. It is, what is it, a lousy 10 bucks a month? Come on. I mean, the point is you have that money. We want that money. Give it to us now. The mailbag is coming up. Mailbag. <laughs> <laughs> was, you're getting fast. It's like it's like we're in a in a street duel at this point. All right, I just want to read this one. I'll try and read it quickly. It's long, so I'll try and cut it, edit it as I read uh, from Stacy. Uh, it says, "Dear Andrew, you weren't kidding about your whole. Your answers are guaranteed 100 uh, percent correct. Thing were you? I wrote you last November about my marriage. I talked about my charming, smart, funny, abusive husband. I mentioned feeling terribly guilty for thinking of leaving him because I'm a Christian and it w- he would be hurt. Uh, you said if there's abuse in a marriage, it's not a marriage and not what God wants for me. Uh, and I went on to say, she says, you went on to say at once." At one point, something I just couldn't stomach, you said that the worst part of abuse is that the abused person, that would be me, begins to believe they deserve the abuse, and I rejected this notion immediately. Well, she said, I did leave about four months ago. I got some counseling. I've given it all a good long think, and you were 100% right deep down in places it's so inconvenient, it's so convenient to ignore uh, because it's scary deep down. I did believe that I deserved the abuse. The good news is I did leave my husband and the abuse behind. I started a new life. And most importantly, I'm striving every day to cultivate new beliefs. I am free, safe, and loved. Your words meant so much to me. I listened to them over and over. Thank you. I can't thank you enough. I just want the guys in the back room, the engineers, and all that, to actually know that they actually are doing something for a living. Their job is not just to press that screen button all the time. Uh, so I wanted to read that. <laughs> yeah, I'm obviously not getting through. Stacy, I'm so happy to hear that. I really am. It, it moves me immensely uh, to get letters like that. And I hope uh, anybody who uh, has experiences like that will write and let me know. Uh, from Kelly, dear Mr. Clavin, I recently graduated from college with a degree in religious studies. You and the other Daily Wire podcasters have helped keep me safe. 
Spain on a very liberal college campus. I uh, thank you for that. Uh, my question is, what is your opinion on women preaching? Interesting. I was talking about this with a guy in Idaho. Uh, I, I lead an all-girls Bible study, and my pastor has asked me to pray about going into ministry. I believe that men and women are created equally in the eyes of God, but I also believe that men and women are different and have different God-given roles. I would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you so much. There is a line in... Um, in Paul, I can't remember which uh, epistle, saying, um, uh, I can't remember which epistle, saying that women should not preach, they shouldn't have leadership roles over men. Um, I, I actually believe that that is not true, and I'm not even sure the translation is right. What I think that they were worried about at the time was uh, women uh, kind of becoming over-emotional, which seemed to be happening from reading the text, is that women were getting up and sort of uh, ranting at people, and they didn't want that to happen. Uh, listen, I have heard many women preach, and they their faults are the faults of women as the faults of men are the faults of men. So you have to be careful of that. I hear women, when I often hear women preach, I hear them get very uh, involved in their own emotions and very involved in their own sense of uh, affirmation and maybe lose track of the gospel, but not all the time. I have heard women preach and do it exceptionally well. So my, my feeling about it is just like a man has to watch out for the faults of men, women have to watch out for the faults of women when they preach, but in fact, I think it is worth hearing uh, what they have to say, and I believe in Christ there is no male and female, so I would say that women preaching, uh, you know, uh, can be a, re a real addition uh, to Christian um, to Christian preaching. I, I do believe in the headship of men in relationships, the leadership of men in relationships, but I don't think that that should keep women from having a voice and uh, and from interpreting the Gospels and from giving people the, you know, I don't think you can get the whole sense of Christianity if you don't hear it from the female side. I know there are a lot of evangelicals, people I was talking to who, who disagree with that, but I, I feel pretty strongly that I've heard some women say things that really uh, rocked me and came at me from an angle that I wouldn't have thought of and I don't think men would have thought of and I just think that's really worth while. So that's where I come from. Um, from Michael, dear Lord Clavin, Master of the Universe, may the sun shine brightly upon your head and reflect upon us. Uh, I have two very dear aunts who are the only family I'm close with. They were close for a long time, but the last few years they do almost nothing but fight. Uh, I see both of their positions when they fight, uh, and but they seem to completely miss the other sides of things. I tried to mediate and support both. That hasn't worked. They won't resolve their problems, won't try to find someone to mediate, uh, and also won't leave each other because of past trials they've weathered together. The whole thing is unhealthy. I and they are Christians. I pray for them, but is there anything else I can do? I feel helpless just watching this train wreck from the sidelines. Thank you for your answer. Well, it will change my life possibly for the better. Yeah, no, there's nothing you can do, but what you can do is you can continue to have a relationship with them, and what might be a good idea is to have it with one of them at a, at a time, like take them out for lunch, take one of them out for lunch, take the other one out for lunch, and don't preach to them, but just listen to them, uh, hear what they have to say, and try and get, at the, it's kind of, it sounds like something may have happened. There may be some underlying thing here. So if you're listening to one of them or the other of them, maybe just listen and hear what's going on. And maybe there's an underlying problem that you can help them address. That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like there's something underneath the fighting, that they're fighting about things on the surface, but underneath that, there's maybe some hurt uh, going on. But, but don't make that your goal. Make that a possibility by taking them out individually and having relationships with them individually and listening to them and talking to them about other things and see what comes up, see where that takes you. Uh, don't necessarily push for that. That would be what I would do. Um, from Dennis, I just graduated with my MA in biblical counseling and want to start building my counseling ministry. You've talked about your experience in counseling from the client side of things. What is some advice you would give to me as I look to work with people as a Christian counselor? I, I tell you the way I feel about this is do what God does. He listens 
and he gets at the things that are in your heart. So uh, I have been a counselor on hotlines, you know, not I don't have a degree or anything, but I have taken training in how to do that on hotlines. And people have come to me and told me they were doing terrible, terrible things in my heart. I wanted to just say, stop doing that, stop doing that. But I don't think that works. And I don't think um, the idea that I get to express my decency by telling someone the right, giving someone good advice that they're not going to take is really helpful. When you listen to people, you can sometimes get at the place in their heart that actually knows the answer. I believe that every person is built such that there is a path to God within them. And I think that if you listen to them, they know. They know when they're doing the wrong thing. They know when they're doing something to hurt themselves. And uh, my, my experience is that about 50% of people who seek counseling want help. The other 50% want to come and hear you say things and then tell you why you're wrong. And so they try and draw you into giving them advice, which they'll then tell you why that wouldn't help. That You'll see that pattern again and again. Then other people are actually trying to find a way and they're searching for a way. And if you listen to them and guide them to that way that they already know, uh, it is it can be really, really helpful. So think Think of what happens when you pray. When you pray, God doesn't uh, hit you with lightning if he finds out you were doing something bad. Uh, what he does is he listens, he speaks into your heart, he lets your heart speak to you. Uh, and I think you can do that as a counselor as well. Um, from Matthew, dear Lord, overseer of the multiverse and everything that is good. That is my correct title. In the past month, I met a girl. We hit it off instantly. I've never felt a connection so quickly with a girl. Uh, and, that, and I know she feels the same. She currently lives an hour and a half away, and that's no problem. Uh, but I'm going to school in September. The university is four hours away. On top of this, I found out that she is an exotic dancer, which I think is code for stripper, stripper, right? She's an exotic dancer. So I'm not really sure what to do. I like her, but don't know if I want my first serious relationship to be long distance with an exotic dancer. I know what you're thinking. Just say the word, he says. So really my question is, do I break it off now and try to make it easier for the both of us to see her until I go to school or even try to make it work in the long run? For a little more context, I'm 25, never been in a serious relationship, and she's gorgeous. Uh, thank you for taking my question. Wiser and better looking, <laughs> Mr. Clean. Uh, that The key line here is, I know what you're thinking. Just say the word. That means that you know the answer already, okay? You don't know what I'm thinking. You know what you should be told. Uh, obviously, there, there's two things in here. The words, I found out, I just found out she's an exotic dancer. She wasn't telling you this. This is, get out. This is, get out of this relationship. You know, this is a woman who is obviously, listen, I'm not picking on people who are strippers. You know, people have lives that lead them to places that are not so good. And I don't, I'm not passing judgment on those lives. Maybe that's better than something else that they could be doing. Maybe they're working their way up and out of that thing. But for you, right now in your life, there is something that went on here where you found out about something, so you were being treated dishonestly. And obviously, this is not a good relationship for you to be in. You already know what I'm going to say because you already know what the truth is. And I think what, you're, what you want to hear is break this off because you know it's not good for you. Sorry, I know she's beautiful. I know she's hot. You know, that's why she's doing what she's doing. But, you know, you want to be you want to be in a good relationship, especially uh, at the beginning, and especially when you want to find somebody to be with forever. I mean, this is not does not sound like something that's going to last. And it doesn't sound like uh, there was honesty here either, which is really important. Um, from Patricia, you have spoken well, saying you do not want to condemn anyone for who they love. I, too, want to keep out of others bedrooms and wish we weren't so bombarded by labels. My question, though, is about two men in a committed relationship who somehow got a woman to become impregnated by one of them and after the birth gave the child to them to raise, so the, the same-sex couple to get to raise. 
Uh, I rejoice that a new child has come into the world. I'm deeply troubled by the fact that the child no longer has a mother in his life. We are asked to celebrate this fact. How do we do this? Your thoughts, please. Okay, this was the wrong thing to do. They did a morally wrong thing. To create a child purposely to give it a home that is not the optimal home is, is selfish. Very different. Very, and I, I would say this even if it was a single mother who says, oh, I'm just going to have a child by myself, which I have seen many people do. I do not think that is the right thing to do. That's different, very different than adopting a child who would have no home if you didn't give it an imperfect home, right? So that's, that's a different thing. That's a generous thing that does good. This is a selfish thing that creates a person who is now going to be at a disadvantage. And I think they do it for selfish reasons, and I don't think it should be done. Now, here comes the hard saying of Clavin, okay? Because you're not going to like this. There is nothing you can do about this. There's nothing you can do about this except treat these people with love, and especially this child with love. I don't know what your relationship is. I don't know how much a part of this child's life you're going to be, but whatever it is, bring the goodness into, the, into this child's life that you can bring. There's nothing, absolutely nothing to be gained by preaching to these people. The harm has already been done. The act has already been accomplished. Uh, when you say people want you to rejoice of it, over it, you don't have to rejoice over it. All you have to do is bring the love that this child needs, and maybe these people need to, which would maybe help them in their lives. I know that's a hard saying because you always want to say when you see an injustice, when you see something selfishly done, you always want to tell people about it. It's not going to help. It's just not going to do anything. And I think what you all you can do is bring the love into the situation as it exists. There's a lot of stuff in life we can't do anything about. This is one of them. Uh, but yes, your instinct is right. This was the wrong. This is a wrong, selfish thing uh, to do. Different than if they had adopted someone who wouldn't have had any home at all uh, otherwise. Um, from Mark, dear sagacious Andrew, brother of the same birthday as I, um, as someone who strongly believes in God and general Christian beliefs. Uh, i.e. God wants us to love him, love each other, his creation, ourselves. I often struggle with the godlike qualities of Jesus the man. Did he actually perform all of the miracles? Did he really resurrect from the dead? The gospels were written by men sometime after his death, and we all know how stories can take on a life of their own. I believe there's a spiritual world with God at its center. People have connected with God throughout time. One man, Jesus, had the purest connection. I've gone through all this in my life. I understand what you're saying. You said, when you came to Christianity, did you struggle as I do? Uh, can I call myself a Christian if I believe wholeheartedly in his divinely inspired message, yet doubt the verbatim gospel claims of miracles and resurrection? I don't find it very important if Jesus walked on water. Clearly, Jesus Christ knew God and was sent to earth to shed light on us. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And yes, I did struggle with this. I mean, I'm a very practical guy. I'm a very down-to-earth guy. Uh, but uh, what I found is, is I kind of accepted Christ provisionally on the same kind of grounds that you are uh, want to accept him. And I found over time, as I studied it more, as I looked into it more, I found I began to believe in a lot of things I didn't believe in before. For one thing, the you, you've got more eyewitness to testimony to the resurrection uh, than you do to like the death of Julius Caesar. I mean, you have more historical information. Uh, and the only reason we don't believe in it is this is something that both Believers and non-believers believe. We both believe one thing. This stuff don't happen. We all believe that. Otherwise, if we didn't believe it, we wouldn't be awestruck that it happened, uh, or the people who don't believe it wouldn't be atheistic or walk away from it. So we all believe that this is anomalous. It's a miracle. That's what it is. It is something that has happened exactly once. It has happened one time, and so we have no way to say, oh, well, I've seen this happen four times, five times, so it must have happened again. The thing is, the... Uh, the fact that these people were preaching, risking their lives, giving their lives often, preaching in the town, in the place where this happened, in the Jerusalem where this happened, to people who would have seen what had happened, 
who would have seen the, the uh, crucifixion, would have seen the stone roll back. They were preaching these things and being killed by these things. And even uh, in the Gospels, there are people saying, you know, they're going to steal the body and pretend there was resurrected. It has the entire feeling of a historical uh, fact. It has the entire feeling of, the, of an historical fact. That's one thing about it. The other thing about it is that it explains so much about human life. It explains so much about the way we live morally, the way we think morally, the things that we're willing to sacrifice. Uh, for morality without even thinking about it. Uh, and so that, again, seems to confirm it. I, what did C.S. Lewis say? I believe in it, uh, not only because it makes sense, but it makes sense of everything else. So I have come to believe in the miraculous, uh, and I have seen miraculous things happen in my life, not as miraculous as that, but again, it's a one-off. Uh, and, so, and so we don't believe it because these things don't happen, but that is also the reason we're awestruck when we start to accept that it did happen. What I would say is follow the truth in your heart, right? Do not lie. Do not pretend to believe something that you don't believe. You know enough about Christ to follow him now. And when you follow him, he will take you where he wants you to go. Uh, So that you don't don't have to be concerned about that. You don't have to be worried about that. Keep keep your integrity. Keep your, uh, your beliefs and be honest about your beliefs and see where it takes you when you start to follow Christ. That's what I did. It has been one of the joyous, has been the joyous experience of my life. It has changed my life. Anyone who knew me before and knows me now knows I'm a different man. Uh, so I, I highly recommend it to you. And I don't, don't listen to what other people tell you you must do in order to find Christ. Go with it. Go after him. He'll take you where he wants you to go. Out of time. Uh, but we'll be back tomorrow, right? We have a Friday show this week. So be there and I will be there. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Austin Stevens and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. And our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, the crowd chants send her back at Elhan Omar. Wrongly. And Elhan Omar proves she's an anti-Semite. Again, that's today on The Ben Shapiro Show.